What's up, y'all? What's up, y'all? What's up, y'all? What's up, y'all? My future isn't determined by where I currently reside. Understanding your worth will put pride in your stride. I'm accountable to my call. There's no compromise. I set my own bar, and you better know it's set high. It's giving what it's supposed to gain. Ooh, stop playing with them. What's up, y'all? It's your girl, Dashari. Welcome back to another episode of It's a Perspective. Today, we have a special guest. He's an alum of the University of Oklahoma, a corporate consultant and inclusive diversity and equity practitioner. He is a member of the Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity mm-hmm. Incorporated. You got to make sure you say that right. An NBA graduate. Army National Guard veteran, a state of Oklahoma awardee for community and mentorship service and honored with a Cherokee Nations Public Service Award and an Oklahoma Journal Records Achiever Under 40 Award. He is also the official spoken word artist for the OKCPD Outreach Program, an annual host and performer for the annual Teachers Appreciation Foundation Gala. With up to two decades of corporate experience combined with the collegiate adjunct professor distinction, he utilizes his passion and knowledge to serve underserved youth and marginalized groups in areas such as financial literacy, self-love, and actualization and goal execution. A proven national recording and spoken word performance artist, he is also a trained actor featuring in a multitude of short films, film festival contributions, commercials, and other cinematic productions such as Oklahoma's notable Black Wall Street Burning. Last but not least, he's an immensely supportive husband to Mrs. Uh, Carrie McLean and proud father to his two girls, Kamora and Camilla. 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 Um, please welcome Mr. Courtney Mackwoods McLean. <laughs> Listen, that was a mouthful. <laughs> How are you today? I'm trying to slim it down, get people the short version. Listen, uh, it is all good. Listen, you got to give them the full spectrum because you do a lot and you have a lot going for yourself. Try to stay busy. God, you know, God willing, uh, I'll keep pushing. <laughs> but thank you for having me, though. It's an honor. I appreciate you reaching out and have me on your platform. Thank you. No problem. Listen, I think this is super dope because I don't know if you know, we both featured in For the Love of Money. And yeah. and one of my <laughs> earlier guests that I had was the executive producer for the um, movie, Melvin Child. So I yeah, think that yeah. I think that's super dope. So let's jump right into it. The fans' favorite part of the show. That's my jam. This is a segment of the show where you can play your mantra or a song you can't resist jamming, dancing, or singing. So what you got for us? So, I would like to present to you and your and your audience uh, my one of my tracks, one of my favorite tracks off of my upcoming album Pressure Cookers, which will be out in November. Uh, Peace is featuring Glenjamin the Great, uh, you know Oklahoma uh, uh, fine um, MC philanthropist, all type of stuff. Uh, nacho cheesecake. Uh, he's on there with wow. original flow and uh, and and singer uh, Phil Lee. Um, it's one of one of my favorites on the album, so check it out. All right, here we go. Emotional stress often manifests as illness and disease. See, I'm always ready to fight, he's always ready to flee. With great peace comes great sacrifice. 
hits my plight Because he does not understand my grief On the other hand, nobody understands him like me Though he can't express himself a speech impediment So, uh, uh Snap it up, snap it up, snap it up in the comment section for this spoken word piece. That's so good, y'all. Stay tuned for this album. It's coming late November, you said, 2022. Yes. Yeah, so the uh, the plan was originally to release it um, like in August uh, for uh, to be able to be in the category for spoken word uh, um, artist of the year when it comes to um, uh, the Grammys. Okay. And, and so... I literally, I think I got caught up in some travel and stuff and didn't and wasn't able to finish some production and missed the deadline by like a week oh. and looked up and I was like, damn, it's a whole week. I, I can't get it in for the category. Um, so I was like, you know what? I'm going to go back to it. I'm going to take my time on it some more and um, and, and put a little more love in it. And uh, between me and the producer, uh, Chris McCoy, Oklahoma's finest, yes. CL McCoy, Leron Vision, uh, you know, we're taking our time on it and, and we're looking at a, at a date at least like November 20th. That's my youngest birthday. I said, I'll, I'll put it, I'll put it out on her birthday. Yes, that is what's up. Please tell us why you chose this as your jam. So uh, when it comes to being in a lot of environments or circles, men's circles, mm -hmm. and too many times, and usually these men's circles are about like eight to 10 men. Mm -hmm. And with a large percentage of each circle being married men. And now these are men who are distinguished in the communities, um, uh, Oklahoma City community. Um, uh, they do a lot. Coaches, financial uh, uh, specialists, uh, teachers, uh, a lot of men in the community, police officers, a lot of men that were married uh, and have a lot going on for themselves had the same uh, story and it was that they give so much to their families and so much to the communities it's like they're pouring from an empty cup oh, uh, sometimes yeah and so uh, they, they feel like you know a lot of times black men and, and specifically black men don't have anyone to go to um, for a source of outlet or or to be able to vent uh, so this one peace or the longer uh, title version is peace of mind and mm -hmm. peace of mind yeah uh, you know, um, shout out to Outcast. I kind of stole that <laughs> concept from Outcast, but uh, uh, the concept is is based around being able to express ourselves in in some type of safe place, okay. a safe place without it being um, turned into a judgmental space. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, to be able to expound on our our uh, relationships and how we feel, how we're feeling, because you know. Uh, we were raised to think that our feelings don't count. Yeah. Um, so this particular track, and and later on in the track, uh, original flow, he spits a verse, and we switch up the beat. Um, uh, so it has has some nuances later on in the track, but um, uh, I, I really love what we did with this one. And then having the, finding the sample, uh, the piece part, I'm like, oh man, God just blessed yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yes, that is I'm, so good. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Listen, I got I've listened to the full version of it. You guys get a snippet of it this time, but like I said, if you can go check it out later in November. And it will be on all platforms. All platforms. There you have it. All streaming platforms. So go check it out. So let's hop right into it. Who are who is Courtney McLean? 
or other word, otherwise known as Mac Woods. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, my mama gave me the name Courtney McLean, but Mac, you know, Woods, people ask me what the Woods come from. Uh, the Woods uh, derived from my favorite Kappa man, Lawrence Piney Woods Jones. Okay. Um, story goes, with a noose around his neck and flames under his feet, he spoke words so powerful that the Ku Klux Klan released him and even funded his dream and see that inspired me. To spit, wow. to spit lucid, liquefy, lysergic acid with wordplay that makes Lucifer regret living a life of sin. See, it's like Malcolm Little joined the nation, got released from jealous ex, saw the world's hell and turned back into red. See, the parallel, black kids' dreams get lost to their own address. So I closed my mouth as tight as Big Mama's hugs and let my soul speak and spit eloquent reminders of your royalty. See, I got that good D, that good D. That deep, disgustingly devoted, disenslaving distinction of a dynamic determination, but I'm not a rapper. Or a drug dealer. <laughs> I'm a think at large. An OKC latchkey kid that grew into a souls of black folks monologue meets the Dapadan fall when a catalog. <laughs> Allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is Mac Woods. And the Mac is yes for McLean, but man articulating change. Yes. <laughs> okay, you're gonna have me snapping this whole interview. It sound like come uh, on, come on now. Intro. Yes. But, you know, OKC native, uh, you know, educator, uh, spoken word performer. And I use the word spoken word performer versus poet because uh, I got a, I got a little bit of ego when it comes to my, with poetry, because, um, you know, a poet, a lot of times they don't have any full feeling hmm. uh, when, behind their words. Sometimes yeah. they and they read or recite their words like they don't even believe in it. Yeah. Like they don't even believe what they wrote. Yeah, that's <laughs> so true. So I'm, I'm a full performer. Uh, I change personalities uh, in some of my, in a lot of my pieces. Um, I, I do full on um, somewhat like dramatic plays with other uh, spoken word artists on stage. Uh, so I get deep into uh, what I'm writing and when I perform it, um, you will, you'll see the difference between me and another poet. Uh, so I call, so I, I definitely say I'm a spoken word uh, performance artist uh, because what I do uh, is not simply just reciting a poem on stage. Um, I guess down. Yeah, <laughs> listen, listen. I heard that. I've seen you personally, and I know that to be true. I think that is so you amazing. Sure. Listen, we may have to collab on something because I I, I think of myself as somebody who can get down on the stage as well. <laughs> so um, I'm always down to collab, especially with OKC folk. For sure, for sure. So let's start from the beginning. Um, we know what you've done, but what has the culmination of your experiences prepared you for over the years? So uh, I come from a family of like 98% women. Okay. Uh, and what strong black uh, Cherokee women, and what they what that did for me was um, uh, see strong matriarchs. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think my level of uh, respect for women and and then respect for the their capabilities has always been present. Um, so that's always been on the forefront of my mind uh, to think about uh, black women, what they what what they're going through, and how. Can I be an ally to black women? Mm -hmm. You know, even before we were talking about LGBTQIA or transgender rights, I was thinking about how can I be much more of an ally mm -hmm. to black women? Right. Um, and so, but in the process of them raising me and rearing me, um, you know, come from a single 
parent home. My mom uh, did the best she could with me working two jobs basically all my life. Um, and, you know, I say often, I don't believe my mom could could make me a, a good man, but she did, she did her damn thing trying to make me a good person. Right. And in, in, the, uh, in the journey of that, just me being around different men, I kind of picked up on things, you know, to apply it to myself. Uh, you know, like one of my uncles was a big, big drug dealer. Mm-hmm. Um, so actually my love for monetary gain came from him, but also how to treat my family also came from him too, because he made sure I went to school in new clothes and new tennis shoes. Uh, he made, he, he, uh, I seen him, how he was so intricate in taking care of my grandmother and being there for whenever she needed anything. And, but you have to take the good with the bad. Mm-hmm. You know, I saw he was, a, he was, he was drug dealing. Matter of fact, um, me learning how to count money was from him laying it all out and allowing me to count it. Yeah. But you know, I saw a lot of things very early, but being able to understand, I can take a little bit of the good, even though I see the bad. Mm-hmm. And, and I think I applied that out of situations when it came to understanding who I wanted as mentors, who I wanted to learn from, mm-hmm. and also understanding who I wanted to be as a person. Uh, I, I think I learned early that I wanted to be a mentor and a, and a role model. Um, when I was coming up, a lot of NBA players, spe- specifically NBA players, even Jordan would say stuff like, and this is me as a kid watching this, um, in interviews saying, I don't want to be a role model. I'm mm. not going to be a role model. I'm an athlete, I'm an entertainer right. or whatever have you. And I'm like, that's so irresponsible mm-hmm. because as a black man, you may not want to be a role model, but you have to accept that you're in a, in a space and you have a huge platform. You have to have that forefront to, to be intentional about what you're doing in front of a whole bunch of black kids that are watching you. Especially um, so, if you have influence. Ex- exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I, I, I took it upon myself to be like, you know what? I'll be that. I'm good with that. I'll yeah. take all that pressure. <laughs> yeah. I'm good with the pressure. So. That's good. That's good. I, I, I like that you said that you're willing to take on that pressure because I think a lot of black men aren't, and I don't know why. I don't know why. I don't know why it's so. Cause they want, they don't want to be held accountable. Yeah. Account- I understand accountability, that. Hey, accountability is a mug. You know what I'm saying? To, to be able to uh, be out there and hold yourself accountable, you know, cause you may, you may end up not caring about what other people think. But holding yourself accountable, that's some pressure. Yeah. Because you have to look at yourself in the mirror every morning. Yeah. You know, so so having that that type of foresight of what's going on, what are you doing, and how you're affecting people, what does it say? Not about what you say, a shout to RIP, uh, Miss Miss Angelou. Not about what you say, it's about how you make people feel. Right, right. And, and, and if you are making people feel bad and you're not leaving this place, this earth, better than how you found it, that's a lot to put on your shoulders. So you, so you, you rather not face that truth. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but listen, I like, I'll use this quote that my, well, I guess it's not a quote. It's just a saying, you got to step into your excellent. My dad says it all the time. Step into your excellence yeah. and be the be- best version of who, you know, God has called you to be and, and yeah. be yourself ultimately, because that's all you can do. So, yeah, but I yeah. love that you said that you're willing to take on that task because every day it's a battle, you know, to make sure that you're oh, yeah. doing good for those who are watching you. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, um, in a lot of spaces that I occupied uh, was majority white. 
Okay. Especially being in Oklahoma. Yeah. If you get a good if you get a good job, <laughs> have a degree and stuff, you're most likely gonna be in spaces majority white. Right. Right. So originally I would step into these spaces uh trying to dim my light. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't want to come in as the, either the angry black man or the arrogant black man or whatever have you. And I think, you know, working in corporate America until my maybe mid twenties, I was trying to dim that down. Mm. And, um, you know, a light bulb just came off for me one day and I was just, and, and I live by this mantra of F humble. I don't believe in being humble. Yeah. You go by the definition is to be meek or modest. Mm-hmm. Look at yourself in a low stature. And I don't, I don't adhere to any of that. And I'm not going to teach my children any of that. Um, now you can be gracious. Uh, you can show humility Yeah. and you can be, uh, you can be honored and honorable, but it's so many other adjectives I could use for myself in those spaces and be a commendable man and not use humble. Man. <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna take Webster's dictionary and you can keep humble all day, but that will not be me. Um, um, I'm gonna know my excellence. I'm gonna know my power and ability, and I'm gonna step into it. And um, I'm not gonna dim my light to make you feel comfortable. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah that is so good. I'm a snap. I'm a snap because that is so true. I've said it. I've said it before, you know, humble is a word that people like to use very loosely and you should not <laughs> listen, yeah. take it to yeah. heart and say, listen, I'm not going to be humble. Cause I ain't got nothing humble to do. Say be God has you, called me you, to be better uh, than <laughs> humble. Uh, we, we're, we're two, we're two beautiful black and, and, uh, and, and talented and yeah. gifted. Yeah. To walk around in a humble state. And then the even the term that we put on people that we've looked up to all our lives, like a Martin Luther King mm-hmm. or Malcolm X or a Gandhi. Mm-hmm. Uh, all all of these people that were eloquent, that were leaders, um, and 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 affected people in, in positive light, uh in, in their respective manners, none of these people were humble. At all. Uh None at all. (laughs) Going by the definition, none of these people that we hold in high stature were humble people. They they wouldn't have been able to accomplish what they did and have such a legacy that resonated with us to this day if they were humble people. Man, that's (laughs) it. That is it. So you go by Mac, like you said before, men articulating change. Mm -hmm. What was your motive to articulate change? After talking um, about these greats like Gandhi, Malcolm X, you know, Martin. it's it's it's, uh, it's very funny because when I was a kid, I had a stutter. Oh wow! And uh, so I tell people when I when I was a kid, I had a stutter. And now I get paid to talk. So <laughs> <laughs> yes, so, uh, that yeah, that's good. So I mean, I necessarily don't remember the stutter too much. But my family won't let me live it down. Oh, man. <laughs> but my grandmother was old school, right? So she used to pop me in the mouth with a dish towel. Wow. Uh, to stop my stutter. <laughs> so I really don't remember it. Uh-huh. But my family won't let me forget mm-hmm. uh, what I don't remember. <laughs> um, but but to be able to articulate yourself well, especially as a, as a black person, mm-hmm. as a black man, um, I don't think we put... In, in most circles in our community, we don't put enough emphasis 
on black men being able to eloquently state what their abilities are, what they care about, and what they're set, uh, what they're setting their sights on to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And so, and what they care, you know, what they care about. So if, 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 uh, if a man can't state that, um, then they don't know what, what, what rooms other people that can help you as a resource, Mm -hmm. they don't know what rooms to put you in. They don't know how to assist you and they really don't know what your cause is because you can't eloquently state it. Right. Right. Um, So, you know, my whole mentality around man articulated change was, uh, you know, you know, like my intro, um, I've, I've always been a decent speaker, came up in the church doing plays and and Easter speeches and such. So I've, I've always liked the limelight. I've never shied away from being on stage in front of a mic. Um, so that was just in me. I just thank God for that. Um, that was just always in me. Uh, but when it came to my, my, my poetry alias, God literally just put that on me. Cause mm-hmm. I was like, I don't want to go my, by my government. Cause I've honestly never liked my name, Courtney. Um, it's spelled different. It's no U, no T in it, but I just never, you know, I just, it, it's not fly to me, you know what I'm saying? So <laughs> it's different, I guess, but it's not fly. So, so I was like, you know what? I don't want to go by my government name. Um, what's some things? Cause I don't want a random name either. I want something that means something to me. Mm-hmm. So when I was pledging K- uh, KSI, I came across Lawrence uh, Clifton Jones, who went by Piney Woods, who established the Piney Woods school um, uh, in Mississippi. So, the story that he had of basically being kidnapped and about to be hung by the KKK, but he was able to speak so well and eloquently where they were touched and they led him down and even gave him a donation for his Pinewood school of agriculture. And so when I read that, that touched me so much like, okay, I've always wanted to be a great speaker. And this is someone who's a Kappa who in dire situation was able to under pressure, noops, under pressure, <laughs> was able to state what he cared about so much that that an enemy felt that passion and released him from death. And so that that just that inspired me. That inspired me. So I took the woods. So that's the woods part. And Mac, I wanted something to um really represent. Well, my grandfather's name is Daddy Mac. <laughs> My wow. Gr- so they, yeah, they call him Daddy Mac for Mac for McLean. And, um, and then around time I was around high school, um, they just random friends started calling me Mac. Um, and then when I went to the army, they shortened my McLean and, and everybody was calling me Mac. So Mac kind of stuck, but then I was like, all right, well, I have Mac. What can I do with that? You know, and that's why I'm so sensitive when people put my name on flyers and stuff to make sure they're capitalizing the M and the A and the C because the acronym. Mm-hmm. And, and literally gave me the acronym. I know I wanted to stay Mac, but God gave me the meaning behind it. I mean, I literally didn't even have to think about it. It was like, what do I want Mac to mean? Man articulating change. So, and I focus on that in my poetry. Mm-hmm. Uh, I built a curriculum around self-identity, self-actualization, because, and that's why it's also, since about 2006, I've been calling black men king, because I want you to see yourself as such. Because mm-hmm. if you see yourself as such, you carry yourself differently, you walk into spaces, never having an imposter syndrome, 
you you carry yourself like you're supposed to be in any type of environment. And so that's the change that I that I want to make uh, within uh, the annals of my of my spoken word. And that's that's the reason why I came up with the name. That's so good. That is so good. Has using your voice in this artistical form developed a parameter for how you view others' vocal arrangement and how it impacts the culture and generations? How it affects, run that back. <laughs> how it affects, you know, the cultural impact in maybe generations before yours or after. Well, through my spoken word. Mm-hmm. So you know how like rap so rap hope, culture and things like that they make yeah, impact. So I would I would so I would hope so. So when I, so when I go into spaces uh, like uh, for instance um, working with the Oklahoma City Police Department, mm-hmm. uh, when I go into juvenile centers, I'm also a mentor, but uh, I'll always perform as well. Mm-hmm. So I'll go into the space or really any space that that I come into uh, specifically when it's uh, when it's uh, students or young people involved. I'll come in automatically performing and they never know that I'm about to do this. Wow. that's so, <laughs> um, cool. so I'll just walk in performing. I won't introduce myself or anything. I'll just come in performing. Then I'll introduce myself and then I'll take uh, snippets of my piece and I'll break down the quotes uh, tied in the Hen- Henry Toshfell's uh, social identity theory. Wow. And so that curriculum based around spoken word is is really what 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 really got me into a lot of different spaces. Uh, one was the spoken word, and then my education uh, background um, and the corporate background uh, was able to put me in a lot of different spaces. But the fact that some of them sometimes I'm going into spaces and invited to opportunities that have nothing to do with poetry because they originally seen me do poetry. Um, uh, so in my mind, I'm like I'm I'm showing up and I'm showing this this younger generation that poetry can be a little aggressive. Mm-hmm. It can, you know, it can be cool. Um, because with my style, you know, a lot of rappers will tell me, oh man, you should try to rap. <laughs> no, sir. No, sir. <laughs> I have a great love and respect for hip hop. And I believe just the cadence and the ability to be within the beat and use your voice as an instrument with the beat, man, that's a gift. Yeah. And I don't believe I have that gift. So, uh, no, I'm not going to disrespect the culture. But <laughs> yeah. but I have worked with a lot of with a lot of uh, hip-hop artists. I've worked with a lot of R&B artists. Um, just a pleasure uh, that, you know, they have my name in those circles. Um, so that's, that's an honor. Uh, but I hope that this next generation can see spoken word in a different manner. But I will say that... Um, I do know a lot of slam artists okay. that, you know, are well respected. You know, I mean, like Nobel Peace, uh, Nobel Peace awardees and honored in such high regards outside of Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. You just don't see too many spoken word artists getting that respect uh, in Oklahoma, from Oklahoma. Um, and that's one thing that I'm proud of. And and then being a part of Poetic City, you know, we've we traveled from Cali to D.C. to Miami just came back from Philly and New Jersey. Uh, so uh, being able to show that Oklahoma poets got something to say yeah. outside of Oklahoma has been such a blessing too. Shout out to Tavy Bleak Blakely. He's been doing his thing when it comes to putting us in these spaces. 
Uh, so much props to Bleak, man. Ever since I linked up with Poetic City, you know, I, I know that I always knew how to brand myself, always knew how to network and, and build relationships. But I was so busy being a father mm. that I wasn't able to get network, network my brand myself. Right. And Bleak, and Bleak really did that for me and got me in a lot of spaces to the point where now with my kids getting older, I'm getting these get a lot of gigs independently outside of Poetic City, but I know where it started. Right. You know, okay. Bleak was really able to help me uh, do that uh, beginning in like 2018 uh, when we first met. But but I think that young people coming up that may not even do poetry at all, I think they could see it as something that they could appreciate. Uh, so my first book and my first album is called Blacker Than Shakespeare's Ink. Mm. And and that name came from uh, shout to my battle buddy from the army, uh, one of my closest friends, Kai Phoenix. Um, I told him a story about me being in eighth grade, and never I never appreciated poetry back then. Robert Frost, uh, Shakespeare, all the other white names that mm-hmm. they put in front of us, uh, you know, they would rarely say anything about Maya Angelou or or. Um, or Langston Hughes, or James Baldwin, any of those. Right. It was always some old dead white woman or old dead white man that they put in front of us. None of that resonated with me, mm-hmm. right? So I, so uh, he helped me with the name Blacker Than Shakespeare's Inc. Uh, because what I talk about could resonate with Black people and hope. And, and I've seen that it resonates with white people as well mm-hmm. because uh, such as hip-hop, it gives you a close eye view uh, from an outsider point of view on black culture and what we've been going through. And, and hopefully, you know, I've even evolved my pen game where now you understand what a, what a husband goes through, what a, what a father goes through mm-hmm. uh, w- without any color barriers. But that's one thing that I have to say about being black. I'm not going to try to write not black. Like you know, right, you know when somebody right. says, you know, you know when somebody says, "Oh well, is all your stuff blackity black?" Yes, <laughs> all of it yeah. is. Because if I'm writing a, uh, if I'm writing a poem, uh, speaking from a male point of view, a father's point of view, a husband's point of view, an educator's point of view, I'm a black man before any of that. Right. A son's right. point of view, I'm a black man, you know, before any of that. So, uh, so yeah, it may not be. Burn down the American flag, uh, Nat Turner, blackity black all the time, mm-hmm. but it will have essence of of black culture and being a black man within all of my poems because that's what I am. That's good. And I was going to segue right into this question about how do you feel? Because I, I think it's such a, a thing that needs to be more pushed forward where we are able to have a platform that is like a Shakespeare um, platform. I know we've had our our James Baldwin's and our um, Langston Hughes and our Maya Angelou's, but we don't have, I feel like the, the position to be in that influence where we can have those um, eighth grade reading or the middle school reading um, of the uh, Shakespeare plays and things like that. And I think there's such, a need for that do you feel like yeah. you would like to reach that certain level where you can that's 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 the dream so right. even when i talk about like slam poetry which 
never was uh, a dream of mine to do slam poetry uh, because I like doing features. Mm-hmm. I like being on the stage for like 20 minutes and just enjoying it, enjoying the audience, having that type of back and forth with the audience, um, giving them a plethora, a range of what I can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, slam poetry, you're up there for three minutes and you got to get done. And, and a lot of times there's no like um, narrative. I mean, it, it's narrative uh, and there's plenty of extraordinary slam poets, which I'm actually trying to get into it by January. I'm, I'm going to do my first slam competition in January to test out my skills, but <laughs> it's too, it's too quick. You're yeah. up there. You, you have to be very punchliney. Um, uh, you have to be super dramatic and, and I don't mind being dramatic cause I am a trained actor, mm-hmm. but dramatic and sometimes it just it looks it feels fake yeah you know what i'm saying um so i never was drawn to it i never was drawn to it until some revered slam poets told me that i should slam i said oh okay (laughs) (laughs) kind of got the buy off so i was like oh well yeah maybe i'll tap into it listen if you Um, see me i see me too let me go try it (laughs) yeah yeah but but to answer your question um you know it's all I mean, the hegemonic powers that be control all of that. The fact that if if we're not in the annals of higher education where um, a lot of our stuff is published and studied, um, you, know, right. you know, you see hip hop doing that a little bit here and there in different universities, teaching hip hop and, and lyricism. I know Lupe, Lupe Fiasco, I think he just got into maybe Harvard or Princeton mm-hmm. where he's teaching a class. I know Scarface in the past has taught a class um, and then people getting honorary uh, doctorates and such in these spaces, but to be a staple in higher education, I don't know if America has came, has come that far yet. That's, that's, that's true. (laughs) Yeah. I I think it's a shame um, in some ways, but in, in other ways, I think it's something that, you know, can, in in one way or another be a gem until they until they dust it off you don't know that that gem is there and i hate to say it in that way because obviously i I would love for our culture our people um and people like yourself to be pushed forward um and this leads into my next question about um positivity why do you feel it's important to use positivity I, i know that positivity is a long way around you know the road for to what yeah. people deem as success, but um, you know, I, I think it should be more more popular to be positive. And I ask yeah. this because there there are so many things um that could be popular. Like I stated in rap, you know, people use explicit language or and not that that's bad or you know demeaning um words, but you you speak to these juvenile centers and like you say, you go on tour with Poetic City. Why do you feel it's important to be positive? Um, I mean, because uh, positive can break down um, so many ailments that you can't control. Right. You can't control a lot of what goes on in your life or, or to you, mm-hmm. but you can control how you react to it. Mm-hmm. So if you have a positive energy, a positive mind frame of, well, I'm going to accomplish this. Mm-hmm. This is something that happened. Maybe I can't pay my bills this month. Or maybe some things happen with my with, with, with my credits, so now I have to take an extra course or whatever have you. That all that stuff is gonna happen. Mm-hmm. That's gonna happen. You can be proactive. 
proactive and strategic as possible, but something is always going to happen, yeah. right? And and your responsibility is to go into it with a mindset of even if it pisses you off, you have to, and you know the breakdown that's human, mm-hmm. breaking down, crying, um, maybe exploding a little bit. Mm-hmm. Don't stand still. You know I'll call it like <laughs> yeah. it's a it's a bomb, but but don't don't make it a landmine. You okay. Know, you can explore a little bit, but don't stand still. Don't don't dwell in it. Mm-hmm. You know, be able to take in the emotions. That I mean, that's healthy. That's healthy too. And and you know, that's even uh, one thing to me and my wife. She's a licensed practicing counselor, and we try to teach our kids. It's you know, and and for me as a man, it's hard to be like, okay, it's okay to cry. Because yeah. <laughs> that because that's how I've been trained. You right. Know, being a man in America, you know, don't cry. Suck it up. Man up. But being able to feel your feelings, it's okay to feel your feelings, um, but don't sit into it to the point where everything around you uh, falls apart because uh, you don't know how to adapt. And that's and that's when uh, our people need to learn resiliency. So teaching uh, our youth resiliency mm-hmm. and to be able to understand healthy uh, coping mechanisms, mm-hmm. healthy Coping mechanisms, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, and to be able to tap into them young, uh, like I love the things I'm seeing, like in DC, where you'll see a whole classroom um, practicing uh, meditation. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. So you're able to take what's going on and channel it into mm-hmm. a positive manner. So then you can be efficient and effective, and whatever needs to be done. And so, you know, even even some of these, like, that's why I don't like uh, the word motivation mm. uh, too too much, because motivation is fleeting. Wow. But inspiration is internal. Inspiration is something that you can continue to utilize over and over and over. Motivation is fleeting. Motivation, uh, you know, some of your listeners don't like it, but it's like church. Motivation okay. is like church. Okay. You know, uh, it make you, makes you feel all good in the sanctuary. Mm-hmm. But as soon as you walk out of the sanctuary, you have to deal with real life. Inspiration is something that is internal, which you can be in these different spaces, yeah. go through this hell, but you know what inspires you to keep you pushing, to keep you moving, to keep you going uh, towards what's really important to you, what your mission is. Mm-hmm. And so to me, that's the difference between motivation and inspiration. And I believe if we tap into what's positive and you being uh, a positive person, then you'll always be able to tap into your resiliency mm. because you see the light. You see the light in the dark. That's so good. That is so good. And I wanted to add to what you said about the, the kids in D.C. doing meditation and the teachers who are standing outside of their classroom and letting the children choose what yeah. their the beginning of their day looks like. You know, a hug, a high five, a fist bump, yeah. a dance. You know, I think... It's so good to be positive. Like but like I said, it is the long way around to what people deem as success. You know, because mm. people like <laughs> trash TV, they like trash yeah. talk, they <laughs> like a lot of different things. But I think the ultimate thing and what will help our community specifically is positivity and being, yeah. you know, um resilient in that. Um so take yeah. through the mindset shift. Um when you decided to go from being successful in corporate America to then stepping fully, well, not that you step fully out of um, corporate America, but following your dreams and stepping into being a public speaker, poet, and actor? Um, Depression. Depression. I didn't know that 
Um, and that's one thing that, that you know, uh, is on my album is um, understanding that, uh, that, that men are looked into, in, you know, strong black, the strong black woman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're not yeah. supposed to feel. We're not supposed to have emotions. Right. We're not supposed to um, be able to be hurt. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, and we're just supposed to operate mm-hmm. like machines. And that's what I was doing in that space. I was operating and I wasn't enjoying it. You know, uh, I was negotiating million dollar, billion dollar deals. Um, you know, Dell City Kid, uh, uh, top security clearance. I'm able to go on Air Force One wow. and all of that. And it was cool for the for the moment. Oh, like, you know, I'm a Dell City Kid. I'm the, I, I made this happen. This happened on Air Force One, you know. Yeah. Um, but um, it didn't mean anything. It, didn't, it, it was it was very fleeting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't have any gratification from the work I was doing. And and uh, I had an aha moment. Uh, one of my team leads, he was like, you know, Courtney, I've been working here for 20 some odd years and I hate my job. Mm. And that made me that made me sad for him. Yeah. And also I thought about my mom and the fact that she was working for the Capitol. But uh, matter of fact, she got hired like right before I was born. Wow. So her anniversary was kind of like always uh, a, a couple of days. Well, yeah, a couple of days after my birthday. So my birthday is January 2nd. I believe she got hired or started working for the for the state. Like on the 5th, wow. something like that uh, in 1985. Come on, New uh, Year's. So, <laughs> huh? I said, come on, New Year's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, just understanding that she had 30 some odd years of a job that she didn't like. Hmm. I was like, I don't want to live like that. I don't want to live like that. So I had to find out, and I was listening to a lot of E.T. Thomas. Mm. You know, shout out to yeah, E.T., yeah. Dr. E.T. I was listening to him, and one thing that he said was, you know, you have to find what gratifies you, what what puts that gratification in you, what do you love doing, but understand that you have to be great at what you love doing. And if you become great at what you enjoy doing, then people will eventually pay you to do it, but you have to become great at it. Mm. Um, so I was already doing, you know, a uh, little community, community outreach here and there and stuff like that. I was still, I was writing, but I wasn't performing anywhere. And I had to ask myself, what do I enjoy doing? Mm-hmm. And then, and then I started uh, taking all of my sick leave, all of my vacation and started, uh, started speaking at conferences. I became an adjunct professor and a board member at uh, UCO for the black male initiative. Mm, okay. Um, and I started helping out with the conferences, speaking at the conferences, um, uh, teaching every fall uh, for the Black Male Initiative. Then I got hired on to do some things um, at OU as well, and then became an adjunct professor there to the point where people thought I only worked in higher education. They forgot the fact, the fact that originally I was I was able to get in these doors because I have Boeing. Wow. So now I'm from, I'm from Boeing. And, you know, they, they love that because it's a big name in Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. So I was able to get into these uh, uh, these arenas originally because I was like, hey, I, I'm, I'm Boeing, I'm an Oklahoma native, and I was teaching financial literacy because I have a background in certification in finan- uh, financial education. Um, so I was doing financial literacy workshops originally, but my financial literacy workshops, they always had like... Um, a flair of like inspiration and I will put in some poetry. 
Mm-hmm. So to the point where people were requesting me to do workshops, but I kind of, I would do some financial literacy, but I kind of stopped doing it. And a lot of the stuff I was being hired for was just to spit poetry. Wow. And this was even before I was going to open mics. I wasn't even going to open mics. I was, I was getting requested to come to these things to, to do poetry or to do a workshop over financial literacy. And sometimes I would just do both. I would let them <laughs> yeah. know, hey, like I would get hired for one thing and be like, hey, you know, I do such stuff too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I would be able to work uh, intersectionality in it, you know, letting them know, hey, I can do this and I can do this. Mm-hmm. And I'm a black man too. So the whole diversity and inclusion thing <laughs> yeah. uh, was very easy for me to work. But I kind of fell in love with that in 2015. One of my best friends got hired as the first director of diversity and inclusion at, at OU. Um, and so I started studying and uh, uh, that, you know, before it really took off um, and then was able to really tap into that. And then I got hired on at OU as director of diversity and inclusion. But I was depressed first. I was depressed, had to, had to have an aha moment and I had to really be intentional with what I wanted to do. And then I started being intentional. The intentionality behind it was using my sick leave, using my vacation from a space that didn't serve me mm-hmm. to go to a space that did serve me. Right. And and that was very, that transition um, and me recognizing that was very important because I didn't know I was depressed until, until, I, until I had to recognize what depression looks like. Mm-hmm. It, that's good. I think a, a lot of people my age would um, like to know the answer to this question. Do you feel like at a certain point you have to kind of, because you have to figure out life, right? Yeah. So you have to go through the thing of paying bills and things like that. Do you feel like at a certain point you, you felt like you were wasting time because you wanted, yeah. you had something you wanted to do, but you had to also live life? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, which I always say the twenties, the twenties are a beast because it'll beat you down. You're trying to figure out stuff. Um, you're doing some. A lot of times you're doing stupid stuff um, <laughs> from 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 love life to wasting your time um, professionally um, to just doing dumb stuff. Yeah. <laughs> in your 20s. yeah. Just trying, just trying to figure it out, you know. Um, and and it's okay to do that. But you also have to understand that, oh, the, this decade will go by quick. Mm. And before you know it, you'll be 30, yeah. not appreciating your job, not enjoying anything that you're doing. And at that point, you know, maybe having kids. So you're having kids. You don't enjoy your day job. You're just paying bills. Uh, where is the fulfillment? Right. You're looking at your day, you're looking at what you do on a regular basis, and you don't see any fulfillment in it. You either just see yourself serving other people's purpose mm-hmm. or just serving others. And, you know, I ha- I kind of have a quote I made up. Uh, you have to be careful while taking care of others uh, because you'll be taking care of others so much that you stop taking care of you. Right. You know, and and, you know. And, and that, that causes a lot of problems, you know, animosity within relationships, uh, animosity uh, to your spouse, um, you know, uh, hating your job. So, mm-hmm. and when, you know, when you hate your job, you can be great at it, but it's nothing like being happy at something that you're good at right? because that, that shows you can, you can, you know, your deliverables can be on time. Uh, your, your work 
can be good, but when you're when you're happy at at it, it's going to be great. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's that's the issue that I had in corporate America too. Uh, I was good at my job. I was executing, um, but I only saw my white counterparts being promoted. Yeah, the money wasn't what it should be with 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 someone with experience in a master's degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought it was boring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but I was executing. I was doing my job, and and my customer liked me, so I was doing a decent job, even though, you know, I'm a negotiator, your customer, your customer shouldn't like you too much. If you <laughs> negotiate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you know, I had, I had no complaints with my managers, but when it came down to my annual assessments, they always found a way not to give me the promotion or not to give me the money that I felt like I deserved, which doesn't make any sense because if you have no complaints all 12 months until I'm getting assessed for my promotion, right? Eh, that's a little janky. That's very janky. <laughs> something else something else yeah yeah, something else and and i told one of my supervisors the something else feels like this yeah yeah none of my leaders look like me the the people around me are getting opportunities to present to more c-suites when i have the highest security clearance because you're trusting me to do certain things um and i have one of the top customers in air force one so you're giving me all this responsibility you're overworking me, uh, but I'm getting no, I'm not, the money is the motivator in this sense. Yeah. I don't enjoy the work. So you at least got to give me more money because I don't enjoy the work, mm-hmm. you know? And so I, I would say to young people, uh, try your damnedest to find out what you love to do in your twenties. Now, now it may not be exactly what you love to do in your thirties because it, it may evolve and most, most likely it is going to evolve. Mm-hmm. But being able to tap into your talents and what you love to do in your 20s, because you'll have more time to build up on on, on top of it. Mm-hmm. So by the time you're in your 30s, you're 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 much better at it. You know how to monetize it. Um, uh, you, you're more strategic with executing it. And and you're to a point where you have so much uh, respect for the craft or whatever you're doing, whatever it is, from community activism to, to being in the cubicle and doing corporate America, whatever it is, be able to be- become a subject matter expert. That's key. A lot of a lot of black people don't tell black people that. When you're in these spaces, especially corporate America, become a subject matter expert. Wow. Because, because most of the time, if you become a subject matter expert, no one wants to do your job. Mm. And you'll become so good at it that that's job security. And you'll be well known for it. So in that sense, to be a subject matter expert, you should enjoy it because you're going to spend a lot of time trying to be the best at it. Right. You know, so in your 20s, you you have a little bit of that time. You have a little bit of that freedom. You have more you have more time on your hands. Mm-hmm. You know, um, now, if you now, if you already have a child, though. The thing about that is. um you, 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 of course, you have a rougher journey, of course, but it can be done. <laughs> so being able to find, uh, being able to find out who your support system is early, mm-hmm. but you know, your mother to be able to access that time efficiently. So on Sunday, what does your Thursday look like? Mm-hmm. See, that's what, that's what I, I plan out my whole week. 
That's why it makes me mad when somebody like throws something at me random because it because I already have my whole week planned. Right. Right. You know, so when I when I plan out my whole week, that helps me be efficient and effective in everything that I have going on because there's no BS space. Mm-hmm. And even if I work in some BS space, I know it's BS space because I planned it. Right, <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? So so kids aren't an excuse. It's a little struggle, but it's not an excuse. The the problem comes into play is if you don't have a plan with your kids. Like you haven't planned in that they have practice at such and such. So you don't know when when you're going to work on this PowerPoint that you have to deliver. Right. Plan around everything to make it effective. Man. But that's you have good. to find the passion first. You have to find the passion first. That's good. Listen, those of you guys who have kids that are in your twenties, you can find that time, work in that time. Listen, I'm glad I don't have nothing yet. <laughs> I'm going to wait, <laughs> but yeah, um, do that and, and take the gems that he dropped in and use those to your advantage. Um, so we're wrapping up here on this show. I like to talk a lot about passion and purpose. How do you feel you differentiate the two and what does it mean to you? Um, I believe, I believe you definitely can differ, differentiate passion and purpose, but uh, when you find your purpose, I believe then you'll be able to find your passion. Mm. I, kind of, I feel like they they work together, but they are separate. Like my like for me, my purpose I believe is youth professional development mm-hmm. in in spaces with marginalized groups of people. Okay. Um, I feel like serving them is what I want to do, no matter what's going on. If I if I get hired tomorrow to be a big time red carpet actor, mm-hmm. I will still uh, be tapping in very much into philanthropy and and marginalized groups of, of students and people. Come on and manifest. Come on and manifest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. amen. So, so even if that happens, that's something I will still be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and me finding the purpose then was like, okay, well, how, how can I do that? Mm-hmm. How can I serve those people? Well, what am I good at? I'm good at project management. I'm good at poetry. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm good at um, like inspiring groups. Right. Um, um, and I'm good at uh, creating strategic plans. Um, so, uh, and you know, and speaking and doing workshops and such. So, right. Basically, writing and using my mouth mm-hmm. <laughs> has has been able to put me in these spaces. Uh, to be able to speak well and be able to write well. So so that tied into my passion has helped me with my purpose, being able to write and speak well. But you, but you have to find your purpose first and then figure out, okay, how can I serve the purpose? And a lot of times, whatever, whatever you want to do, if it ties into serving others, it's going to bring you gratification. Right. I know that yeah. to be true. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. That's good. Find what you're passionate about and develop that into your purpose. I like it. I like it a lot. So what's next for you? Um, I'm trying to, you know, continue to cultivate the active thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the poetry, I, I, I want to make a staple in higher education. I want to be um, um, 
I want to be a staple in higher education to the point where either they're teaching about me or I'm uh, teaching what I'm writing within the annals of higher education. Um, I was thinking about being like eventually like a council person. Mm-hmm. Um, I would really like to represent uh, my people in a, in a in a grander way, mm-hmm. uh, being able to be in more of those rooms where the big decisions are being made. Um, and and also want to uh, win an Oscar. Yes. Uh, I want to do all of it. Yeah. I want to win a Grammy too. <laughs> yeah. And that all can happen for you. So yeah. I want yeah. I want to win it all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so how can people follow you? So you can follow me uh, on my Instagram, Mac, M-A-C underscore since 1985. And on LinkedIn and Facebook, any other places, find me uh, in my Actors Access or my IMDb at Courtney, C-O-R-D-N-E-Y, no U or T, McLean, <laughs> M-C-C-L-A-I-N on all other social media. Um, and I write back, follow me, and I'll follow you back and, and tap in. I, I put on... Uh, everything I take, I stay with a top five. And I think that's very important. I give branding workshops about that. My top five fitness, family, uh, poetry, fashion, and, and, um, and, and community outreach ties into, uh, the DNI work as well. But I only post about five things. I think that's important because when people know what you're about, when they, when they think of a particular thing or event or whatever, they'll think of you because you're right. consistent with your brand. That's good. That's good. So thank you so much, y'all. Stay tapped in with him, Mr. Courtney Macwoods McLean. If you don't know him by anything else, Macwoods. But yeah, he he dropped some gems. He dropped some knowledge. He gave us an inside scoop on, you know, his his speaking abilities. He listened. He dropped uh, the the speaking gems on us right when we began the show. But um, as we wrap up here, if you could leave my listeners with one thing, what would you tell them? I would say uh, love passionately, uh, live hard, and appreciate every moment. That's it. That's it. I love it. Thank you so much, you guys. (laughs) Please stay connected. He said Mac underscore since 19. 1985. On Instagram and everywhere else, Courtney McLean. Stay connected. Uh, Courtney McLean. Yeah, and make sure you check out his album with his dope song that we listened to earlier, and that's my jam. Uh, check him out on big screens. He's listen. He's gonna win an Oscar. He's gonna win some Grammys. So make sure y'all check him out and stay Amen. connected. <laughs> Thank you so much, um, Mr. Courtney McLean. I look forward to connecting with you soon. Um, keep your perspective because it looks good on you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. No problem. Peace. Thank you. <laughs>